Welcome to Popcorn Optional, a movie podcast presented by myself, Cameron Salina, along with my co-hosts, Jake Brown and Trevor Allison. How are we doing tonight, guys? Fan-freaking-tastic. Yeah, doing great. Doing wonderful. Just what I like. All right, like I said, we are a movie podcast, um, and this is our official third episode where we will be reviewing Guy Ritchie's King Arthur uh, and the Lord of the Rings, uh, Legend of the Sword, um, where he tried to do something weird, great, terrible, amazing. We're going to talk that this week, but first off, we're going to talk our favorite and least favorite trailers that we saw in front of this movie. Um, all right, Trevor, let's kick off with you. What was your favorite movie trailer that you saw in front of King Arthur, Legend of the Sword? All right, that for me was Dunkirk, which, I mean, isn't really a surprise, I don't think. Um, I mean, we at this point, we know Christopher Nolan. We know what he does. Um, we know he's a master storyteller. Maybe not always at his best every time, but nobody can be. Um, it looks, It's a great film. It has Kenneth Branagh, who is awesome, just has a great aura around him all the time. Um, it looks, I mean, it just looks so good. It looks beautiful. It looks inspirational. It looks awesome. Like a kind of a different kind of war movie. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see that. Is, do you guys have, okay, so this is, this is something that I have, and this may be just me, one of my neur- weird neurotic things. Do you guys have an in we trust list? Um, which is the people that no matter what they do, you're going to go see that movie. Like in Christopher Nolan, we trust. Um, yeah, definitely. Like in Wes Anderson, uh, Edgar Wright, uh, anything Aaron Sorkin kind of writes, I'm gonna go see. Do you guys have an in we trust list? I don't have a list, but if I did, like Christopher Nolan would definitely be on that list. Yeah, he's yeah, uh, he's yeah, the top. I kind of do too. Yeah, the, the guy yeah, that so I would add is is steven soderbergh though he doesn't make movies anymore but we'll see how long that lasts (laughs) no he's making a new movie it's called logan lucky and it's with channing tatum daniel craig and it's a so the way that he describes it is if oceans 11 is a smooth jazz nuanced version of a heist movie this is a like redneck backwoods everything goes wrong heist movie I'm, i'm in i'm so in He's also yeah, so that's <laughs> he's basically like the LCD sound system of music right now. Like you're gonna make a big deal about not making music, and then you're like, oh, actually, uh, here's some new songs. Yeah, well, he those new LCD sound system tracks are hot too. Dude, call the police! So freaking good. Awesome. Alrighty, Jake, what was your favorite trailer uh, in front of King Arthur: Legend of the Sword? I had a uh, quite an interesting experience in the theater this week, um, and the trailers being just a giant pile of poop was a part of that. Uh, but one redeeming factor was Atomic Blonde. Uh, this movie looks just absolutely ridiculous in the best way. Charlize Theron is uh, for sure a movie star, like one of the biggest movie stars in America, both male and female, just dominating right now. Um, so just excited to see her punch the crap out of a bunch of Russians, you know, it's going to be awesome. And that is directed by David Leach, who directed John Wick. Um, this is his new movie that he's putting out before he puts out, uh, Deadpool 2. So it'll be exciting to see what he can kind of do, um, on, on his own after co-directing, um, John Wick. Uh, so yeah, awesome. My favorite trailer, I don't know if it's my favorite trailer. I would say it's probably the most interesting trailer. 
uh, is Dark Tower, which is the new film starring Idris Elba, Matthew McConaughey, directed by Nicolas Jarcel, um, based on the famous series by Stephen King. I, this is one of those series that I want to get so excited for, and there's so many things in the trailer that pique my interest and make me want to read the books. And I think I'm going to try and read the books before it comes out in August. Um, but it could be one of those films that just completely is garbage. But when I was talking earlier about my Inwe trust list, Idris Elba is on my Inwe trust list. I can't think of a single thing that dude's done that I haven't loved. Like he, the way that he plays off Michael Scott in the office is fantastic. He's one of the few bright spots of the two Thor movies. Um, I can't think of anything that he's in. Uh, oh, what was that movie he was in on Netflix? Beasts, uh, Beasts of No Nation was fantastic. Um, he's he's brilliant. I really hope that movie turns out well because if it does, I think it's going to kick off um, a whole series of films, which could be really interesting. I'm always a fan of anything that... Uh, has the time to dig into big mythology. Uh, so this this is, I think this could be a great, if this is great, this could be potentially a very big uh, movie that it comes out in, in August. So yeah, that's Dark Tower. It'll be coming out August 4th. What was the worst trailer you saw, Trevor Allison? Um, for me, that's Geostorm, which... Like it kind of took me a while to figure out what was even going on, but it's it's basically the day after tomorrow plus twenty twelve plus stealth plus Skynet. <laughs> I think that's what I gathered stealth. from the trailer. <laughs> oh, it's, stealth! Stealth was so, the greatest pilot movie of all just, time. It looks awful. <laughs> I was like waiting for Dennis Quaid to show up, and he didn't, which was kind of disappointing. But besides that. It's still disappointing. It's this is just hot garbage. This is big, big budget that like for the masses, hot garbage that's probably gonna make back its budget because people like to see like crap blow up. That's true. That's that's fairly true. <laughs> if you are interested in Geostorm after Trevor's raving review of the trailer, <laughs> it'll be coming out on October twentieth. Jake, what would you what would you say is the worst trailer that played in front of your interesting movie going experience? <sighs> Guys, <laughs> this this film. This is a film that I didn't know existed. Didn't didn't know it was in production at all, and I don't think anybody else did. Uh it's called Tulip Fever. Yes. Tulip, the flower, fever, <laughs> the illness. And uh Basically, what this is, is Dane DeHaan is a painter, and there's this pretty lady that's like the weird child bride of Christoph Waltz, and uh, it's basically <laughs> Shakespeare in love, <laughs> and guys, it's it's just so bad, and I think, like, the weird thing is, Trevor, last week you said, why are we letting Dane DeHaan be around children or something, and, like, this is just like a creepy, ah, just... Just a hard pass. Just a hard pass. Yeah, the 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 weird hard thing about that, what you're telling it. me is, and I, I didn't know this existed either, but Christoph Waltz and Dane DeHaan both can be amazing. Yeah. So I'm I'm interested. So can Alicia Vikander being so bad about this? It's so weird. Okay, like, wait. 
Let's list off the cast for this movie really quick. It might this just is the be first a bad I've heard trailer. It. it might just be a bad trailer. I don't know. Alicia Vikander, Dane DeHaan, Zach Galifianakis, Judy Dench, Christoph Waltz, Jack O'Connell, uh, Cara Delevingne, Tom Hollander. There's, there's some like big actors in this that could be big, or that could be you know really good movie. Justin Chadwick directed. Who's Justin? There were like also a lot freedom. of good actors in Valentine's Day, so let's let's calm down. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. Well, if you're interested in Tulip Fever, it'll be coming out August 25th in the United States. My least favorite trailer your is a film called... What was that, Trevor? I said get your vaccine before then. <laughs> true, uh... true, true. All right, my least favorite trailer in front of this movie is a film called Annabelle Creation. And it prompted me to ask the question, why? Why do we need <laughs> horror films in general? First Money. of all, if listeners, Money. you'll come to learn that I hate horror films. Last time I saw a horror film was a movie called uh, Don't Breathe. Uh, and Jake talked me into going to see it. Dude, and it was a I good think movie. Jake can attest. It was a <laughs> it's a terrible movie. It's so bad. <laughs> But Jake talked me into going to see it, and I think Jake can attest to the fact that I hate horror films. And anytime I watch them, I don't care if it's 100 degrees outside in Texas in the middle of summer. I'm wearing a hoodie or a baseball hat, a hoodie and a baseball hat, just so that I can cover my eyes because I can't stand horror films and I can't stand being scared in those kind of ways. Uh, but this trailer in particular, there's like little kids that are creepy. There's these parents, like... The thing that scares me the most is anytime that you're in broad daylight and something scary happens and there's tons of that kind of stuff and there's kids and there's like old people and there's dolls. Like this movie is my ultimate nightmare. I think if I ever lost a bet that the whoever I lose the bet to should make me go see this movie just for the pure fact that I I I would I would pee my pants, I think, seeing this. I, I don't know if I could make it through twenty minutes of this movie. Um so if you're into horror, though, and you're into the Conjuring series, and you liked the first Annabelle movie or either of the Conjuring movies, Annabelle Creation will be coming out on August 11th. All righty. That's trailers. I for didn't this even week. know there was a first Annabelle. Oh, yeah, man. There is a first Annabelle. The Conjuring. It's all based off of this doll. The Conjuring and Conjuring 2 are okay. like good. They're actually good. But the, didn't this... James Wan direct? Conjuring and Conjuring 2? Yeah. And then like, Annabelle was somebody else? Yeah, spinoffs. Don't bother with the spinoffs. Yeah, James Wan's incredibly talented, but <laughs> I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't trust him to, I wouldn't trust somebody else to direct movies within that. It always does pique my, like, okay, so I will say this. I hate horror movies, but I love, like, 80s, 70s horror movies. Like, classic John Carpenter movies, um, Shining, those kind of movies I love. Stranger uh, Modern things. horror Stranger Things. <laughs> do you guys consider Stranger Things horror, though? Like, is that... When you think of Stranger Things, do you think of it as horror? I think of it as, like, I don't... Fantasy sci-fi? Like, it doesn't... I don't watch Stranger Things and go, wow, this is a horror film. It definitely has horror yeah, elements. It, yeah, it, it, it doesn't have the pacing of horror, though. Yeah. Is it the Demogorgon? Uh, de definitely inspired. I think it's definitely influenced by the John Carpenter and, and other films of that era. Yeah. But, but that's what makes it good is that it's influenced by those and not influenced by The Grudge or The Ring or Signs or 
really anything that M. Night Shyamalan's done. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's, let's get into our review of King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. King Arthur, Legend of the Sword is directed by Guy Ritchie, who's previously directed Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels, Snatched, Sherlock Holmes 1 and 2. He also directed Man from Uncle, um, which came out back in 2015. IMDb gives the synopsis of the movie as, Robbed of his birthright, Arthur comes up the hard way in the back alleys of the city. But once he pulls the sword from the stone, he's forced to acknowledge his true legacy, whether he likes it or not. This movie made $14 million on a $175 million budget, which, if you factor in marketing, probably means that he needs to make $350 million just to break even. I will say he made $29 million overseas, so he's at a total of around $43 million total. <laughs> That's still terrible. This movie came in third place this weekend behind Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and Snatched, the new movie from Amy Schumer, um, and Goldie Hawn, directed by Jonathan Levine. This movie was meant to kick off a seven-picture planned universe where they would explore the origins of Lancelot, Guinevere, Merlin, and then merge them all together in one Avengers-style film. Um, before we get <laughs> into just... our general thoughts of the movie, oh my just God. so many bad things already, I know. Um, before we get into our general thoughts of the movie, what are your guys' opinions of Guy Ritchie as a director? Have you guys seen Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels? Um, or Snatch, or Sherlock Holmes, and what are, your, what are your thoughts of those movies? I have seen the Sherlock Holmes movies, and I also saw Man from Uncle. I haven't seen his other work. And you know, Sherlock Holmes 1 is good. Man from Uncle, even, is fun. Um, and I, I'm not like a diehard Guy Ritchie fan. I was, I was expecting this to be entertaining. I was terribly mistaken um so so yeah that's that's my history with guy Ritchie. um i've seen snatch um the sherlock holmes and rock and rollo which you did not mention but um rock and rollo is very similar to snatch um i i like snatch and rock and rollo as being just like the the typical british gangster films um they're a lot of fun they're ridiculous they're an interesting storytelling style um, which sort of creeps into King Arthur a little bit. And we'll talk about that. Um, I, I also, the Sherlock Holmes films number, I mean, the first one was a lot better than the second one, but they were a lot of fun. Um, just kind of mostly it was like watching Robert Downey Jr. And Jude Law hang out, which was, which like kind of worked as a film because they're funny. But besides that, I mean, I, I kind of have mixed feelings about Guy Ritchie. He can be good, but also he's got some bad stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've seen most of Guy Ritchie's work, with the exception of Man from Uncle. Um, I've seen Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, Revolver, Rock and Roller. All those movies, for me at least, while they're fun movies as you're watching them, kind of bleed together. Uh, so I don't. I, I like the movies, but at the same time, it's hard to recommend them. Because I don't essentially know which one I'm recommending, other than the fact that <laughs> Brad Pitt's in Snatch. And gives one of my favorite Brad Pitch performances as a bare knuckle boxer, which is hysterical and fun. And you can't understand him at all because he's speaking this amazing Scottish accent that you just you can't even you can't understand anything he's saying. It's hysterical. Revolver's terrible. Rock and Roller's okay, but it's kind of like if you've seen Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, why would you go see Rock and Roller over that? 
other than the fact that Toby Kebbell's in it and Tom Hardy um, is in it, and they kind of give some fun performances. Guy Ritchie's known for introducing Vinnie Jones to the world. I love Vinnie Jones. I'm a huge Vinnie Jones fan. I can't think of anything that he's been in that I I haven't liked. I mean, he's he's one of the bright spots of She's the Man with Amanda Bynes, which, if you haven't seen, is an underrated movie. Um, But yeah, Sherlock, the very first one, was fantastic. He He brought something new to the genre and the way that he kind of slowed down time and gave us Sherlock's perspective was very unique. And I thought for the style that Guy Ritchie does where he kind of goes back in detail, explains things, Sherlock was the perfect film for him in that. Uh, Game of Shadows, the second Sherlock movie, was kind of a misstep, but it was, still wasn't bad. Like I, I would take that over 75% of the other big blockbuster films that come out. So, yeah, that's 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 Sky Ritchie for you, but let's start off with our general reviews of King Arthur Legend of the Sword. I so I went into this movie really hoping to like it. I I love I love Charlie Hunnam. I really want to like anything that he's in because he just kind of has this this swagger about him. And I don't know if it's the fact that I watched Sons of Anarchy or not. And you guys can tell me this in a second, but I don't know if it's for the fact that I watched Sons of Anarchy or not, but I want to like him so much. He, I like him in Pacific Rim, but I can't think of anything else I've ever seen him in that I liked him in. This movie is is awful. Like I, I, I can't <laughs> think of any other way around it. It's just terrible. Um, it's the editing's jumpy. It's like a sloppy editing that kind of jumps back in time every once in a while and doesn't let you sit in moments when it can. It's it's a video game movie in that it gives it's like constantly giving you something and never giving you time to rest in moments like you should and giving us character moments like a movie should. Um, but I think the biggest problem with this movie is that this movie is so confused about what it wants to be. It, it has the action of 300 um, that's not as good as 300. It tries to do dialogue like Aaron Sorkin or Edgar Wright, but not as good as Edgar Wright or Aaron Sorkin. It tries to have like the chemistry and camaraderie between a team like Fast and the Furious, but without giving us the time to build up to that like Fast and the Furious. So everything just ends up feeling like this forced mix of movies where the director's just going, hey guys, let's watch these, let's watch these bros be pretty cool. This is going to be awesome, right? And you're left in the theater just going, who, what? Okay, okay. And like trying to catch up, which is most Guy Ritchie films, but in a negative way. Like I, 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 this movie is just terrible. I don't know what else to say. Jake, what do you think? Yeah. Um, within like five minutes, I knew what this was going to be. Um, and I was pretty bummed because I knew that we had another two hours to go. Uh, but basically, what I my main notes from this were like you said, Cameron, like this would have been a good video game. Like this would have been a really fun video game, but this isn't a video game. This is a movie. Um, I don't care that it's a new take on Arthur. I know very little about the mythology of King Arthur, but like if this is a totally new take, if we're going in a new direction, you have to build a world that is believable. And if you're going to do some of the things that Guy Ritchie does in this film, you have to earn those. You can't just like throw that at the viewer. 
that was my biggest mm-hmm. thing was just like first off this movie is terribly predictable and then the things that you don't expect make no sense whatsoever um and like you said Cameron the editing was all over the place i think a lot of this was um a lot of this film came up from wouldn't this be cool ideas and then they tried to build a story around that or dialogue around that uh you know scenes aren't story this just seems like a lot of loosely connected scenes and a lot of cool action scenes like some of the action in this is really cool and if that's your thing opening scenes amazing like with the giant elephants like i was i was actually like after looking at reviews on rotten tomatoes and watching that opening scene i was kind of shocked i was like wait is this the kind of movie we're gonna get but yeah yeah keep going yeah the beginning like it's cool but then it takes a twist um and this movie is also, like I said, it's predictable, but it's also really not original at all. Like what you said with the elephants, and there's a lot of other things that we can get into later, but it's just like Guy Ritchie watched Lord of the Rings and Little Mermaid and Sword of the Stone and was just like, <laughs> hey, let's just throw these all together with some 300 and it's going to be dope. Uh, but it was not dope, my friend. Trevor, what about, what about, what, what do you think? All right, so the top of my notes says not terrible, which is like, (laughs) you know, not a compliment. But (laughs) this movie actually, as far, it it entertained me for two hours. I'll say it it met the base requirement of entertaining me for two hours. I never want to see this movie again. I care not to ever watch it. Um, So I I, I think I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I... I don't think if you go spend a dollar on this at the red box that you're like super pissed about it. Um, but it, it is a mess. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it, but a mess that, that montage that's like 10 minutes in is like the worst edited thing I've seen in a Hollywood film before. Oh, it's so bad. It's, it's, and, and I, and there are some, some of the montages later that jump around are a little, are more refined and they're a little bit better. I thought like the, well, we'll talk about that later. There's a couple things that I liked about the way the story is told. Um, but yeah, I also have written in my notes, like Cam said, it's caught in between. Like, is this, is this like a a heavily influenced sort of accurate period piece kind of thing with an influence of the like British gangster Guy Ritchie motif, or is it like completely self aware of what it is? I feel like it jumped back and forth. Like, like the the, so the dialogue kind of shows that. Like the way they talk is really anachronistic. Sometimes the the costuming is really anachronistic. And and I thought the very beginning, the like while it while the beginning was beautiful, when I saw the four hundred foot tall elephants, I was like, Nope. <laughs> that was when you that know, was when I like I was so in at that point. I was, I was like, Lord of the Rings, I was, let's I mean, go. They're like kind of cool, but it was like they should have been like half as tall. They were too big. It was it was a <laughs> like I have I actually have written in my notes like the the unbelievably huge animals were too unbelievably huge. I needed yeah. them a little bit smaller. Okay, wait. Hold Which on. Is a one bizarre second. thing, I think, to think, but yeah. Do you guys take notes during movies? This is a completely. I, I'm just curious. Do you, you guys take notes during movies? Like, how do you guys? Are you guys writing in a notebook? Like, what do you guys do? I did on this one because I was one of the few people in the theater and like in my own row, and so I just turned my brightness all the way down on my phone and just if something like really stuck with me, I would jot it down real quick. Okay, sure. What about um, you? I don't. 
I don't take notes. Um, I usually, I might jot down a couple things on my phone at the end of the film. Um, but usually what I do is I kind of have some main themes when I'm thinking about it as I'm watching it, of course, as with any movie, even if I'm not reviewing it, of course. Um, but then what I usually do is I go back and I'll go to like Wikipedia and read the plot summary. And that kind of like brings everything back to my head and kind of, and kind of gets all the wheels turning. Cause I can kind of visualize it from there and then see how the story was told and, and all the technical stuff and everything. Yeah. I, I'm caught in between the space of just wanting to enjoy the movie as a movie and also wanting to take notes so that I can accurately, accurately review it. Uh, so hmm. that's, that's where I'm stuck. Half the time I just write down something like Jake said if it really piques my interest, but the other half of the time I'm I I want to. In an ideal movie, I don't write a single thing down because from beginning to end I'm enthralled from beginning to end, and I don't have time to write something down. This is a movie though that I walked out of with four pages of notes where I'm somewhat writing. Uh, what happened? Uh, well, who's this guy? Wait, that guy has a kid. Um, also, I should say that we're going to go ahead and jump into spoilers after her general <laughs> thoughts, just so that we can co- completely talk through this movie as as we should be able to. So if you haven't seen this movie, well, I can't say go see it, but red listen box at your it. own. It's a red box. Yeah, red box it. It, it's a red box. It's a Friday night red box. Grab a beer and pizza and hang out. Yeah. Let me just yeah, let me just read you guys my notes that I took in film because I think this really <laughs> sums up my movie going experience. Uh, okay, two douchebags sit behind me. They just screamed after the Transformers trailer that they think it looks effing sick. <laughs> movie starts. What the hell is going on? Why is it so dark? Why did Jude Law betray them? What the f is this water monster thing? David Beckham sword pulling scene was cool. <laughs> Action scenes were so hard to follow or looked like a video game. Excalibur fight was awesome. More of that, please. Giant snake, what the F is happening? More Arthur fighting again. So dark, like I literally can't see anything. Is it just my theater? I mean, Lord of the Rings was dark, but like it was backlit, so you understood what was going on. The water lowering scene was literally just a dark mess. The music is horrible. Did Guy Ritchie just hear Black Skinhead for the first time and was like, dang, that's dope? Someone cl- someone clapped as the credits rolled. <laughs> it was amazing, guys. It was a horrible movie, but a great much. theater experience. The, the clapping is too much. <laughs> what? Part of me feels like we should just end the review there and just be like, hey, audience, <laughs> if, if that doesn't tell you, you shouldn't go see this movie. I don't know what does. Um, but there's still so many things I want to talk about. Um, Jake, one of the things you hit on though <laughs> is the fact of like Lord of the Rings. So this movie from the very first scene gets into like Lord of the Rings S territory in the fact that it has these giant elephants that people are riding on into battle. But that's the only similarity that I can draw between this and Lord of the Rings. If what? you listen if what? you listen to our top ten podcast, Lord of the Rings is my all time favorite movie. And Lord of the Rings does so many wonderful things that this movie does terribly wrong. Lord of the Rings takes epic moments and expands on them and gives you uh mythos, gives you uh moments to explore within this epic world and gives you those epic moments that you want in a big blockbuster movie. This movie gives you these epic ideas but then kind of edit wise rushes through them 
and just kind of sticks in the small moments. Like the fact that they give you this big moment in this alternate reality where Charlie Hunnam is having to battle animals, like giant animals, giant rats, wolves, snakes, all these different things. But then the big set pieces are actually set in Londominium, which first of all, <sighs> stupid idea. But the fact that they give you these like smaller set pieces, that's not what I like, at least for me, that's not like something that makes a good blockbuster film. You can have great moments and still epic landscapes. So the fact that you have to draw back into these smaller set pieces was so frustrating to me. Like, explore the big ideas. And that goes back into the idea that this was supposed to be a universe that then got brought into one movie. This feels like it should be three movies drawn into one with a director that has so many different ideas, but then just kind of crams them into one. And luckily it's Guy Ritchie that goes, oh, wow, I have this style of editing that I do where I just kind of quickly throw everything together. Um, so that's going to fit perfectly into this. I, it's so frustrating yeah, my, watching my, this movie. My reaction of the what, as you said, Lord of the Rings, was because um, this wants to be Lord of the Rings so bad. Like the wizards, the towers, the chosen sword, the fallen king, the chosen king, all the like the elephants, the demon, evil monster warrior fight. This wants to be. <laughs> this wants to be Lord of the Rings so bad, but like you said, fails so hard. And one of my notes was this movie needs to be either three hours or 45 minutes shorter. Like, make this a fun in and out ride or build a world. Like, going in into the not no lands, the non, the dark lands, whatever they called it. Like, all of a sudden, we're now in. World of Warcraft, where there are giant monsters that you have to beat for experience and like activate your sword. And then we come back to the <laughs> condominium community London, Londominium thing. Sounds like a planned community for seniors. And like everyone's dressed like they're in the late 18, 1700s or something when King Arthur happened in like the fourth century, if we're going to be technical on the story. Which this is definitely. I will not say that technical. Guy Ritchie did plan on sending this in an alternate universe. Like I've seen multiple interviews where he's like, "It's an alternate universe. It's not meant to be in our own timeline." Right, and I get um, that, but it's just like, like you said, you can't, you can't write. And I am not the first person to say this. You can't write a movie and be like, "This is going to start a seven-picture universe." That that doesn't work. Like you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of my biggest frustrations with Warner Brothers. It's one of my biggest frustrations with really any series that sets out to be a cinematic universe, as we title them nowadays. Avengers worked their butts off to get to the point where they had an Avengers movie. They had Iron Man. They had Incredible Hulk. They had Iron Man 2. They had Thor. They had Captain America. Warner Brothers is going Man of Steel. And then they're kind of already throwing into an Avengers-esque movie in Batman vs. Superman. And then their next movie is Wonder Moon, which looks great. But then they're throwing it into uh, Justice League. So many series nowadays try and do what Avengers or even 
I love Fast and the Furious. So I'm going to give as much credit to Fast and the Furious as physically possible. What Fast and the Furious has done right, which is build chemistry and build emotions behind their characters. Uh, when you watch that battle in event in Civil War, where Iron Man and Captain America are fighting each other, there's actual emotions there because you have watched those characters for 10 plus movies now. Whereas when you watch Batman versus Superman, you don't get that same emotion because this is the first time that you've like, well, it's the second time you've seen man of steel on screen, but it's the first time that you've seen Ben Affleck's Batman on screen. So that emotion isn't there. And that's the same thing here. Like they try and give you that emotion between all of these characters without actually wanting to work for it. And that's one of my biggest frustrations with big blockbuster movies today is the fact that they don't, they don't want to take the time to build the universe. They want to have the universe without actually working for it. Did you guys get that feeling from this movie as well? Or was that, was, am I just a crazy person for thinking that? I mean, first of all, I can't even believe that you guys pulled Lord of the Rings out of this. That didn't even cross my mind at all. This was like so, such a far cry from what Peter Jackson did that I can't even, it like didn't even cross my mind until you guys started talking about it. I mean, I can kind of see the similarities, but it's pretty funny to me that that, that, that happened. But now that you guys pointed out, I can see where someone saw it and was like, oh, the Lord of the Rings did this. And that was like 15 years ago. So people probably forgot about it. Let's try it here. Um, but I think something in, in comparing Lord of the Rings and building the universe and, and these and, and this film and not doing well is like is just like the struggle shown and the distance traveled. Like I need my universe to feel like it's not like everything is around the corner from each other. Like I have no idea how far away Camelot was from Londinium, but it seemed like it was like a <laughs> couple hours on a horse, you know, like whereas um half of half of the two towers is frodo and sam walking somewhere like and and like you know how far they're going and like you understand it gives weight to everything and that just i mean I think that's kind of a small thing but but it, it, i think it's a bigger example of of how so much there was not any weight given to anything it was we just kept moving so fast. And I, and I did read, I read today that the original cut that Guy Ritchie put together was three and a half hours. And while I don't want to sit through that, that might've been a better film in some ways. If it, if it, if it used the time appropriately. Yeah, I have no problem. Like I love the Lord of the Rings because it takes three and a half hours to get through its story you have the material for that time use that time like give me that time and i will i'll sit through it i'm happy with that what was one of the interesting things though was i read an interview today on collider.com where they interviewed the writer and producer of the movie lionel wigram i hope i'm pronouncing that right um and it's a great interview uh if you guys could find it on collider.com but one of the things that they ask lionel wigram is a uh, guy's known for his incredible fast pace of his films and the, the editing and visual style. Has he had to, or has he chosen to tweak that at all, given that this is set in a time that's so much slower pace? Which Wigram responded as, the answer to that is we're exploring what to do exactly. We've given ourselves the option, he's given himself the option, of doing a straighter version or the more Guy Ritchie version. I suspect we'll end up doing the more Guy Ritchie version It'll be interesting, frankly. We'll see. Like, 
the fact that the studio and the writer and producer didn't even know which kind of style of movie they're going with is all to the point of this studio didn't know which direction they wanted to go with this movie, which ended up with this movie that's so distracting and confusing and edited sloppily and written like it's from five different people. Yeah, uh, it's so frustrating. Yeah, I this movie. I th- I don't mind the the guy Ritchie style. Like, I'm not a huge fan of Guy Ritchie's style, um, especially. I don't know. It just feels kind of dated. I don't know if I'm the only one that feels that way. Um, it feels like very early 2000s-y, just some of the camera tricks and stuff that he does. Um, but like you said, Trevor, it's more of not doing a lot of the little things right. Like the first five minutes of this film was an expo- exposition dump. And at the end of the exposition dump, I still had no freaking idea what was going on. <laughs> exactly. I agree. I'm fine with exposition dumps as long as, like, if you watch movies like The Prestige, it gives us not necessarily an exposition dump, but a dump of story that then later goes back. Well, to and clarify, the thing is, he never goes. Like, I have no problem with an exposition dump. Like, this is a world where we need a clear exposition dump because we we have no context of what this world is. Like, build the world in your exposition dump, and then. Every scene should be building on top of that. They did not lay a good foundation. Yeah, I think um, what it what it seemed like to me was that the, at least the way the story was told was that we were supposed to kind of be figuring out along with Arthur what happened that night that his dad was killed. But it was like always pretty obvious to me, and it seemed like it was supposed to be a big reveal that that Vortigren was the demon knight. But that was like pretty clear. Like, who else could it have been? the 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 bigger reveal, which was like on an M Night Shyamalan level, was David Beckham being in this film. That was like that was a real like like what the heck movie? Like, or the uh, fact like, that like the I was actual confused. stone was Uther. Which, first of all, Uther Pendragon as a name is just terrible. But that's actually Arthur <laughs> Pendragon's dad's name. If you read the mythology, terrible. terrible I didn't even know David that Arthur Beckham. had a last name. It was so distracting yeah. to have David Beckham. I, like, I immediately was like, that's David Beckham. Why is he? Like, you could have gotten anybody off the street to play this role. Like, I'm so distracted <laughs> that you have David Beckham. And there were, like, some, some, there were some gratuitous face, like, close-ups of him because he was David Beckham. Yeah. Like, he was just a character. We don't need to see that guy more than his, like, four lines that he has. Yeah. He has a much higher voice than I anticipated. I'd never heard an interview with him Same. or like seen him in a movie. But I remember hearing his voice and being like, that, that's David Beckham's voice? Like, that's... You toss your wanker. Grab it players. with both hands, you wanker. <laughs> I, I was... It was just so... Fr- like, what... Who... If it was one of those moments where you feel like the director's like, I'm really good friends with David Beckham. Hey, David, do you want to be in this movie I'm about to put out? Yeah. No, okay, that's that's literally what happened. <laughs> no, oh, I Googled 100%. this to look into it, and that's literally what happened. Guy Ritchie and David Beckham's kids go to the same school. Boom. Oh, seriously? Yeah, for real. That's all it takes, guys. Jake, you mentioned the little moments that are frustrating. Um, and one of my most <laughs> one of my most frustrating moments is so there are so many times in movies where whoever it is, the director, the writer, whoever makes the choice behind this moment, but they make a choice where our lead 
is meant to look better than the supporting cast. And so because of that, they make the supporting cast look dumber instead of our making our lead look just completely out of this world amazing. And that happens in the fact where Goose Fat Bill, which first of all is a terrible name for a character, <laughs> just because he's slippery, you don't have to name him Goose Fat Bill, um, but where Goose Fat Bill sword fights Charlie Hunnam's King Arthur, and he looks completely idiotic in trying to fight this character. But then at the rest of the movie, we're meant to act like Goose Fat Bill's this incredible guy, but he just can't handle a sword. Like He can shoot an arrow from 175 meters away accurately through a guy into another guy, but he can't. He can barely hold his arm in a sword in a, in a sword in a sword fight. Wow, I can't say that word tonight. Sword fight. Uh, that's insanely frustrating to me. Like I would much like much rather have the director go, okay, let's make Arthur incredibly out of this world amazing uh, in, in a sword fight instead of having Arthur look mediocre and then having Goosefat Bill look honestly terrible. I remember watching that scene going like, how is that how you sword fight? Uh, There's so many moments in this movie that I feel like the director just goes, let's make Charlie Hunnam look super cool without thinking of the fact of, okay, the second that, I love Charlie Hunnam. I remember watching Sons of Arnica and being like, Jax Teller is a great character, written amazingly by Kirk Sutter. But every movie, with the exception of Pacific Rim, I've heard he's great in Crimson Peak with Guillermo del Toro. I've heard he's great in Lost City of Z, which came out back in April or March. Um, I feel like the sec, like he's really he's a cool guy, but the second that he opens his mouth, I'm I'm lost. I'm I'm out of this. Is there like, I'm just I'm completely lost with this guy. Did you guys get that from Charlie Hunnam? I mean, I agree with your point of like the rest of the the rest of the crew, uh, his crew felt really inept, and that really like hurt the world building. Because if this is supposed to be the base of the re- rebellion or revolution, like I immediately was like, Ugh, not a good place to start, guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, to your point on Charlie Hunnam, I I like Pacific Rim, but because it's like just stupid fun action for an hour and a half of just like giant monsters and robots and i've never seen son of sons of anarchy so i have no i have no buy-in i guess buy-in i think would be a good word i just don't think he's a movie star yeah Trevor, have you I've seen, seen sons of anarchy um i've not seen sons of anarchy uh love pacific rim um an underappreciated film that we could talk about for a long time. Um, but the only other thing I've seen Charlie Hunnam in besides Pacific Rim is undeclared the Judd Apatow sitcom from the early two thousands. Um, which is, I mean, it's a completely different thing. He's like 19 years old and he's a British college kid, which that's like kind of a mediocre show anyway. Um, I didn't love it. It's fine. Um, so, but yeah, I think Jake might be right. I think he's just not, not a movie star. I think, I think he, I don't know. I don't know if he needs to be in like movies like Steven Seagal, where he just like beats people up and doesn't say, and like says quippy things like as he throws them off a mountain. It makes no sense though, because he like, he has such a good physical presence and he like uh fights well. He's a good looking dude. Um, he's not a bad actor. 
I think he's very like Chris Hemsworthy. Like, yes. although, yeah, I I agree. Although yeah. I will say, in fairness to, in in fairness to um, Charlie Hunnam, I, I would have said that Jude Law is someone who has great screen presence, and he did not feel this way in this film. I think maybe in some ways the film minimized minimized the screen presence of any of the characters because I didn't get the weight from Jude Law that I See, that I expect the, from him. That's the funny thing. I, I in my notes I literally have written down as I'm <laughs> I have like a set of notes that I'm like okay ask Jake and Trevor about this one of my notes is actors and it literally says plus sign Jude Law minus sign everyone else like Jude Law is <laughs> the only character in this movie that actually works I I'll watch a whole movie of Jude Law where he's giving these evil kind of monologues to handmaidens or whoever um other than the fact that he kills his daughter and that that has no context or weight behind it like he kills his daughter and sacrifices her to the water witch yeah what is that thing i I don't know that was so weird like okay so that's the part where i go this is my same frustration with guardians of the galaxy 2 in a way you're willing to go weird to a certain extent but you're not willing to commit to it fully for an entire movie. You're willing to show us this dark realm where King Arthur goes to battle and there's this lady of the lake, but you gloss over it so fastly with your editing that you don't give us any emotion or weight behind it or time to think about the implications of this world. It's so fast-paced that you we don't get time to think about what this world really is. And that's one of my biggest frustrations is that there's a lot of really good ideas in this movie that if explored over seven movies would be a really good series, but they cram it all into one movie and it ends up being, well, what we saw, which is terrible. Garbage. Yeah. And I I will say, I don't think Jude Law was bad by any means. I just don't think that he was, he didn't carry the, the charisma and the weight that his, that his, roles normally do um and i do think that does that speaks to the editing in some ways because we just weren't given time to develop um emotionally with him i agree like looking at reviews going into this everyone was like reviews have not been have not been you know easy on this film um but everyone's like jude law is an amazing villain and i did not get that at all like he wasn't he wasn't bad but at the same time, like there was really only one scene that I was like, that was pretty awesome. And it was when the execution gone wrong and he has his hand out and he's doing his monologue about fear and power mm-hmm. that worked. But um, I didn't I didn't leave like hating Jude Law. He's by far the best part of this movie, though, for sure, like out of all yeah. the actors, which says a lot points, about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> right and, and the, the 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 sad thing is is his character could have been incredibly interesting he's yeah. he's the brother of the king he the the him being involved in the plot was not clearly shown at the very beginning it and and it, him killing his daughter would have had a lot more weight if we'd seen her for more than 30 seconds total in the entire film i wasn't even totally sure that it was his daughter versus um, the random handmaiden named Maggie who shows up only when we need her as a plot device. Yeah. I was also confused as if Maggie was 
Arthur's mom? Like, Arthur's mom and Maggie yeah, that look was surprisingly confusing. alike to the point where I was watching it going, okay, is this going to be a reveal where it's like, oh, Arthur's mom is still alive. Somehow Vortigan brought her back through his magic. Uh, terrible casting to cast two actresses that look exactly the same. Alrighty. I, well, I will say I, I, I have a question for you guys. Just one thing real quick. Do you guys think the sword is too powerful to be interesting? Because I kind of felt that way. I I don't think so, because I think I think it provides a adversary to the mages and magic within the film. I think without the mages okay. and magic in the film it would be too powerful, but I think that you need something to offset that element. Jake, what do you think? I agree. I think I think the first scene tried to show you the balance of power and like mm-hmm. the uh, the power that magic has in this world. Um, I I wanted more of the sword. Like after. Like when he pulled Exc- Excalibur out of the stone, that was cool. And then that first fight scene, um, I was like, "Holy crap! Like, where are we going? This could be awesome. Where has this been the whole time? I'm, I'm like, I'm back in." And then it uh quickly hits the emergency break, and it's like, you know what? We're just gonna stop down for thirty minutes on some <laughs> people you don't really care about. Um, I I think. They also, like I said before, they they made the mistake of planning seven movies. My gosh, and uh, you know, and probably movie two, someone else has another powerful sword or something like that. And mm-hmm. um, okay. so yeah, I I think it wasn't too powerful, but in the framework of just this film, it definitely was kind of like the trump card of like, eh, it doesn't matter. I have this awesome sword. I'm gonna kill this whole army, and it was cool to watch. Yeah, but yeah, it was overpowered. Ultimate example of putting the cart before the horse in this example. Uh, It's frustrating that they don't take time to sit. Time when he goes into the dark realm and actually is battling all these creatures. I'll, I'll take a whole movie of that in and of itself. And that's when you think about this series as a seven movies as a whole, that almost feels like it could have been his own movie because of Guy Ritchie's editing. It's, a two minute montage of him battling through this world. If you take time to sit in that, I think there's a bunch of really interesting things to explore in the dark realm, but because of needing to move forward in the movie, we don't get that actual time. And that's, that's where this movie derails is in that guy, Richie's editing takes you away from the moments that you should be enjoying sitting in chewing on Instead of what we end up getting. Um, do you guys have any last thoughts? Um, I have one last thing, but yeah. What, what about you guys? Do you guys have one, any other thoughts on this movie? Um, I, I was wondering, do you guys think this would have been a better movie if they went like full R-rated action and like character development and stuff like that? I don't, I don't. I don't think so. I, I and I had that thought during the movie. There's nothing in this movie that would have been made better by it being R-rated. When you think about something that gives an R rating, you think violence, language, nudity. 
Um, and there's nothing in those realms that would have given it a better uh, rating in my book. I think what they needed to do was build the characters more. And they're so concerned with action set pieces and moving the story forward that they forget to give us these small nuanced character moments that we need. Trevor, what do you think? Um, I think I mostly agree with that. I, I think the the one time the F word was used was kind of caught me off guard because it didn't fit the flow of the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Because I What mean, was the one time when the F word was used? It was, I don't know. Vortigern was like pissed about something. I can't remember exactly what scene it was. They like broke down the boats and freed slaves. Basically, they were like uh, sabotaging the tower and oh, he was like, yeah, do yeah. your effing job. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. It, it almost, it almost. I mean, like a lot of the dialogue didn't fit the time period, so it didn't seem right to me. Um, the worst part of this of the the anachronistic dialogue was when someone asks if the round table is a dance floor. That like <laughs> made me like cringe to the depths of my soul. That's like the worst, some of the worst writing I've ever experienced in a film. This movie would borderline been Fantastic Four. It's borderline Fantastic Four. Them trying to figure out. What should we name ourselves? Like, oh my gosh, it was so. It's one of those moments where you know exactly what's going on, and the audience is. The director thinks, like, oh, the audience is going to be on this joke. It's going to be really funny. <laughs> but the audience is going, okay, we understand what you're going to name it. We know exactly. Like, as far as King Arthur mythology, when you think King Arthur, you think Knights of the Round Table. Like, that's not mm-hmm. a surprise to anybody that's like, oh, what's this little thing that we have here that's two-thirds of a semicircle? Oh, it's <laughs> it's going to be a round table where all men are equal. Like, give us that. Don't, like, give me this fake thing. Oh, man. Okay. Well, <laughs> the only other thing I have to add is, did you guys keep track of the amount of times where Charlie Hunnam screams, but you don't actually hear his screen on screen? There are so many times where he's like makes the face and where he's screaming and like punching the air or like just screaming and is holding his hand up. <laughs> I had my scream count as five. I don't know if you guys kept track of it, but my scream count was at five. Um, I don't know about you yeah, guys. I, I, it, it, it happened so often that it was definitely a clear narrative stylistic choice, which I think is interesting. And I don't necessarily hate but it's interesting. It's a Guy Ritchie thing it's... for sure, like with the pace of the music. But uh, Cameron, uh, out of five screams, how many screams would you give this film? <laughs> um, That's our rating system. If, if five is I'm screaming out of pure agony, please get me out of this. I thought about leaving the theater, then I, I'd, I'd give it a full six screams. Oh, whoa. Wow. <laughs> Strong. Oh, my. Strong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know about you guys. I often sit at home, and when I get frustrated, I just scream, but nothing comes out, and then I just punch the air and uppercut, um, and my six pack is revealed, um, mm. at that moment. That's that that's ultimately <laughs> what I do when I get frustrated, and then I feel so much better. Mm. That's that that's how I relieve stress. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hit let's hit our our ratings for this film. Jake, where are you at on this film? I'm a. I'm two out of five screams on this. If 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 two zero screams is don't, I hate this movie. Well, yeah, uh, just don't see it. That's my rating. <laughs> it's a red box. <laughs> uh, I'd give it 
I'd give it like a C. C minus maybe. Yeah, I give it whatever rating system you want to use, I put it right in the middle. I give it a 50 out of 100, a C, two stars out of four, 2.5 screams out of five. <laughs> it's it's not necessarily um, not worth seeing, but it's not worth seeing in the theater. You, the big screen doesn't add to it. Um, it's, it's, it is a red box. Um, I do have two quick things that I, you guys don't have to react to. One, I don't think pants were invented in the fourth century. <laughs> and everyone's wearing pants. Two, if you like Underworld, you'll probably like this movie. That's, this is, that's the thing huh. that I kind of most w- was thinking of wow. as far as a comparison. Is, Underworld is better. That is accurate. But I think they're similar. And Underworld worked with four movies. They're actually all watchable and fun. Well, I would say the first three are watchable. The fourth one's terrible. Trevor, did we go see the fourth one in college? Was that you and me that I went to go see that with? That's that's very possible. I, I can't we remember, used but that's to, very possible. To give some history, we used to have what we called Movie Monday, which is where we went to go see a movie every Monday as soon as we were all done with class. And so that resulted in us seeing a lot of terrible movies. Uh Pretty much anybody who wanted to was involved or was welcome to go. We would pretty much tweet out, hey, we're going to see this movie at this time. Whoever wants to go see it can see it. There was a regular grouping of people, myself, Trevor, Jake, our friend Scott, and I think the original person was Hank and myself. We went to go see King's Speech one weekend, and that kind of just led to Movie Mondays. So we saw a lot of terrible movies, and I feel like Underworld, the fourth one, whatever it's called, Underworld overrated. Evolution. Or underworld. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Trevor's like, Was... I have it tattooed on my chest. Let me just check real quick. <laughs> Look, guys, Kate Beckinsale's <laughs> the bee's knees. Um, I give this movie a solid D. Uh, I, don't, I can't Ooh. recommend this to anybody, but at the same time, there are a few elements in it that are fun. Some of the action beats are a little bit interesting. Charlie Hunnam, when he's not speaking, is fun to watch. He has this <laughs> kind of swagger about him that you're you're drawn to in the sense of, to a much lesser degree, Vin Diesel, when Vin Diesel's on screen, they even quote this. I'll quote, I'll quote Fast and the Furious because I love that series so much. But he's like gravity. You're just kind of drawn to him. I, I, I can't say that I, I, I would hire Charlie Hunnam if I was a director. But there's something about him that's kind of just fun to watch on screen. So this movie's a solid, a solid D in my book. It's not, ter- it's not an, an F, but it's not anywhere where I was hoping it would be. What do you guys have this week for weekly content? Normally on weekly content, we want to recommend something to our listeners that they can go out and listen to, watch, read, uh, use on their phone that is worthwhile for them, even though the movie this week wasn't worthwhile. Jake, what do you have for your weekly content of the week? So mine kind of falls in the King Arthur vein. Um, and basically, this is way better and more worth your time. This is a video game called The Witcher 3. And that is basically what King Arthur is trying to be. If you could imagine this movie being really good and then being in video game form or like Game of Thrones in video game form, it's The Witcher 3. Uh, it won like every Game of the Year award last year. It's a ton of fun. It's a really deep, immersive world uh, of just like kind of like fantasy, 
um, swords, magic, all that crap. And it's just a lot of fun to play and really awesome and a much better use of your time and money than this movie. So if you kind of like that that vibe of knights and magic and fantasy and whatever you would use to describe it, uh, check check out Witcher 3 if you haven't because it it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Trevor, what about you? All right, I'm going to go in a completely different direction. A show I've been enjoying lately and kind of caught up on this spring and waiting for the new ones every week is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, yes. We've which been is, binging it recently. It's so which good. Which is a hilarious show um, created by uh, Mike Skur, of, who worked on The Office and created Parks and Rec, one of my favorite shows ever, one of the great shows in the history of television. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is not quite Parks and Rec, but still a lot of fun. It's hilarious. It has a cast with great chemistry. Um, if when you when it first came out, you you may have been like me and been like, oh, it's Andy Samberg, it's SNL on a sitcom, and it's not really that at all. It's like the enough of the good Andy Samberg without the over the top annoying Andy Samberg, and it has Andre Brower as an amazing straight man who is <laughs> completely hilarious. The new season is yeah. so good. Yeah, and it's it's so good. It's it's as it's. It's as epic as a sitcom can be in some ways, and it's it's just fantastic. It's on Hulu. Um, all the episodes are on Hulu, I believe, or Hulu Plus, I think. Good recommend. Okay, just out of curiosity, if you guys are putting The Office and Parks and Rec on your favorite TV series of all time, which one's higher, Office or Parks and Rec? For me, it, they're both top five, probably. Um, definitely top five sitcoms. Uh, Parks and Rec is higher though. Um, Parks and Rec is how dare you? It's just so it's so optimistic. It's so full of life. It's just I don't know how else to say it. I know that sounds like super corny, but it's just so full of life and and optimism. I yeah, these are two of my favorite shows of all time, and we'll probably we should do like a throwback episode on on these series sometime. Um, but we're gonna do it. I I don't know, man. The Office has a special place in my heart. Like, uh, Steve Carell is just, like, it is probably one of the best performances of all time. Um, one of the great characters of all time. Yeah, and but yes. like you said, Trevor, Parks and Rec is just such a fun, happy show. Like, if I, if I had a bad day, I can watch an episode of Parks and just, you know, the, the day is new again. Um... <laughs> So I honestly I would like they're neck and neck. I really can't pick a favorite. They're if you ask like a more specific question of like who are your favorite characters or whatever, like I could probably give you a straight answer, but uh, I'm gonna beat around the bush like a typical uh, politician and <laughs> just say they are both shows that I enjoy. I am pert happily <laughs> accurate. Yeah, I I don't. So Jake and Trevor can attest to this, but I'm a very emotionally driven person, and I started watching The Office when I was in high school. The final episode aired the night before I graduated from college. I, I, I'm a, insanely emotionally connected to that show. Parks and Rec is amazing, but to me it doesn't hold a candle to the magic that was created on The Office between Michael Gary Scott, uh, Jim, Pam, Andy, Dwight. Dwight's, in my, char- in my opinion, is one of the greatest um, characters <laughs> ever written. I'm wearing a Dwight t-shirt right now where he's wearing a bear costume holding beats and writing a Battlestar Galactica. It's The Office is, in my opinion, 
TV at its best. It's what it's the TV OG. should be. It's the OG. My weekly content of the week, I'm going to have two little things. So first of all, if you're not using the app Letterboxd, Letter B-O-X-D, all one word, uh, you should be. It's a fantastic app. It helps you keep track of ratings for movies. It helps you interact with other movie lovers, helps you interact with movie reviewers, gives you a way to rank movies, helps you create lists of movies. It's an amazing app. Everybody should be using it. It's completely worthwhile to download. It's completely free. Everybody should be downloading that. My second recommend. Okay, here we go. (laughs) It's the 34th season of Survivor. Oh my God. I love Survivor. (laughs) I absolutely absolutely love Survivor. And in tying it into King Arthur, we all survived watching this movie. Oh my gosh. (laughs) There we go. Such a good segue. Such a good segue. Um, Okay. I've watched every single episode, every single episode ever of Survivor. It's my. Probably my favorite TV series of all time. If I ever got on it, I think I'd cry. But this most recent season is amazing. It's There's so many moments that, as a Survivor fan, I've been waiting so long to see. There's, there's betrayals every way. There's interesting characters. There's people who you don't think should be on there, but then surprise you. It has everything that you want in a Survivor season, and it has Jeff Probst, which is arguably the best host on TV nowadays. Please go watch Survivor. Yeah, Probst is amazing. Please go watch Survivor Season 34, uh, titled Game Changers. It's on CBS All Access if you want to watch it there. It's well worth watching. I think it's a good lead-in episode, to this or lead-in series season to the series as a whole. So do I have to, to watch like do I have to watch like all 33 seasons to catch up? <laughs> like before no. I watch season 34. So is, okay, is so it like the, the bold and the beautiful? Do I just need to make sure I know all the characters? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing about 34. 34 is a bunch of returning players who are have changed the game in some way or another. Not all of them are actually game changers. Some of them are game changers. A lot of them are I have no idea why they're on there, but they create great characters on the season. This season, though, has brought back some of my favorite characters. And I say characters because if you watch Survivor long enough, you understand that these aren't always who they are in real life and that they are just playing characters. The beautiful thing about Survivor is Survivor is a mix, and I will fully admit this, it's a mix between WWF, WWE, whatever you want to call it, wrestling, and reality television in that, yes, some of it seems scripted. It's not. It's 100% real moments, but the editors edit it in a way where, it, how could that happen this episode? It is, it feels somewhat scripted at times, but it's just so amazing to watch how these people come from different segments of life and interact. There's a couple of moments on this season that are just beautiful moments that are human moments that you wouldn't expect for a reality TV show to dig into. There are moments on this season that are backstabbing, that are just completely fun to watch. It's well worth your time. If you have $5 and can get a subscription to CBS All Access, or I think you can even get it for free on like a two-week delay, it's worth watching. Survivor Season four, season 34, Game Changers. Well worth watching. This has been Survivor Cast. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll catch you in <laughs> Season 35. Yeah, I wish we were... 
There is a Survivor podcast you can listen to. It's called Rob Has a Podcast. It's an amazing Survivor podcast. <laughs> and yes, I do listen to all t- three hours of the Cochran interview. So there amazing. is that. Um, okay, that's all we have for this week. My name is Cameron Slanina. You can find me on Twitter at 321 Time. You can find us as a podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Popcorn Optional. Please go like and subscribe to us on podcast on iTunes. If you like this, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. We would love to know your thoughts. We would love to interact with you guys as viewers. We love movies. We love reviewing movies, and that's ultimately why we're here. Jake, where can we find you out on social media? You can find me on Instagram at uh, jakebrown.tv, and that is actually also my website where I put my filmmaking work. So you can go to www.jakebrown.tv. Trevor? Uh, you can find me at Turbo Trevor on Instagram and Twitter. Mostly on Twitter, but also some on the gram. Hit that gram. Awesome. Hit the gram. All right. Well, we have loved being here tonight. We've enjoyed reviewing this movie, even though it's a terrible movie. And we will see you guys next week. So we hope you have a good week. And until next time, we will see you next time. That's our new sign off. That has to be like <laughs> a thing now. Until next time, we'll see you next time. <laughs>